Lord, just thank you for this opportunity to share your word. And I thank you, Lord, that in my own life I have experienced your comfort. And I pray, Lord, that that comfort that comes from you, that comfort that comes in our distress, would be with each and every person here. And so, Lord, please bless the preaching of your word today, and may everything I say be glorifying to you. In Christ's name, amen. So a little background before I start. Uh, this is the beginning of 2 Corinthians, which is the second letter to the Corinthians that we have. You know, that's what the two is there for, the second. Uh, and so the first letter which Paul wrote to the Corinthians was somewhat of a letter of rebuke. You see, Corinth was a city in ancient Greece, and it was well known for a variety of idolatries, a variety of practices that we would view as sinful. And the church was not immune to that. They had members going and seeing prostitutes. They had uh, one individual sleeping with his mother-in-law. You had people violating one another's consciences, refusing marriage, doing all sorts of crazy things. And so Paul really had to correct them uh, on these things because they were not walking as they should following Christ. But following this very painful letter which Paul had to write to them, uh, things in Corinth for the church actually began to change. People repented of their sin. Uh, people put away the things that they were doing uh, that were evil, and they turned back towards God. And so they were expecting Paul now to come visit them. But in the midst of this, they, of course, experienced difficulties and trials, difficulties and trials because of the sinful behavior they had engaged in, but also difficulties and trials simply because they were Christians in a pagan society. And so Paul, now in the beginning of this letter, is offering them comfort, comfort for those who have been suffering. And so as we see in the first few verses, it says that God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And so what we're going to sink our teeth into right here is just what Paul means by this. Why, what does it mean that God is the Father of mercies, the source of all comfort? Well, what that means is that every comfort really truly comes from God and that God is a God characterized by comfort. Now, I think at times it's much easier to see God through the lens as you know, a God of strength, a God perhaps of judgment, a God of holiness. All those things are absolutely true. God is holy, God is good, and God is just. But there's also a tenderness that characterizes God. God is the one who seeks to comfort us when we suffer. And Paul makes this very clear in that he says God is not just the God of some comfort. He's not just the God of a little comfort here and there. You know, he comes up to you and says, attaboy, here's a little pat on the shoulder for your suffering. No, God is the God of all comfort, and he is the God who comforts us in all of our afflictions. There is not a tear shed, there is not a suffering or trial that you go through where God does not seek to comfort you because he is the God of all comfort. And now as we continue, what is the purpose of this comfort that God gives to us? Obviously, there is the notion that God wants to comfort us. He wants to comfort you in what you're going through. He cares about you. He loves you. But 
God in his infinite love for his people also seeks to spread that comfort through you to others. Because it says here in verse 4, so that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See, God, again, he is so loving, so comforting, that he doesn't seek to just make us storehouses of God's comfort for ourselves, but to allow us to spread that comfort outward, for it to overflow out of us into others who suffer. And as Paul continues, we see that this pattern is actually a pattern that comes from Christ. He says that we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. And now that is somewhat of an odd phrase, which I think deserves some explanation. When Paul says that we share in Christ's sufferings, that's not to say that we share in the sufferings of Christ on the cross. Uh, That's something we couldn't bear, which is the whole reason he had to go to the cross in the first place. Uh, It's not the suffering that perhaps Christ experienced as he walked throughout his life uh, as a human being. Those were Christ's sufferings. So what does Paul mean by the suffering of Christ? What could he possibly be referring to? I think what Paul is speaking of is the sufferings of Christ that we bear as we follow Christ. The suffering, not necessarily of, but more for Christ. As we live our lives as Christians, we will encounter suffering. And in some way, that is just a stated fact here. We will share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, the sufferings for Christ when we live and serve him. Just as the Corinthians would have experienced persecution, uh, just as they would have experienced all the trials of this world, in that they were living for Christ, they experienced those things. And I think a good analogy for this, he says uh, that we share abundantly. You know, we don't, again, just get a little snippet here and there of suffering, but in reality, there is a bit of suffering that we do have to experience in life. Think of a river after it's rained. It's rained, and it's rained, and it's rained, and all of a sudden the water level has just risen and risen and risen, and finally it overflows from the river onto the land. That's sort of what Paul is getting at here and that we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, that there is a surplus, an overflow of these sufferings that come upon us, And so if you are suffering, this isn't something that you should be surprised about as a Christian. Suffering is a reality. Now, I have to take a step back, because certainly you didn't come to church today to hear, well, you're all going to suffer. Go home, enjoy what little bit of your lives you have left. (laughs) It will all be pain and misery from here on out. Praise the Lord. See you later. <laughs> that would, of course, be the overdeveloped sense of uh, suffering that Pastor Paul spoke about. But you see, here there is hope because there is good news to complement the bad news that we will suffer. And what is that good news? That good news is that just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, the sufferings for Christ, so too do we share abundantly in the comfort of Christ. And so God does not leave us in that suffering. God does not leave us uh, merely to be miserable. God meets that overflow, that surplus of suffering with an overflow and a surplus of comfort. 
God is not a sadist. God is not seeking to make you miserable. God is seeking, as the God of all comfort, to bring comfort into your lives. And you see Paul going back to that notion of the overflow, going back to that notion of uh, comforting with the comfort we receive from God. He sees this in his own life. As he is afflicted, it is for the sake of the Corinthians. As he is comforted, it is for their sake. This whole notion of overflowing suffering, overflowing comfort, again, isn't just for Paul. It is for others. It is for the Corinthians. Everything that Paul undergoes, just as everything Christ underwent for us, is for the sake of others. It is for the sake of those we love and those we care about. And to share an example of this, a practical example of this in life, uh, many of you may know uh, a few years ago my father passed away. He was in New Mexico and had a heart attack and just kind of came out of the blue. I remember I was in the office with Pastor Paul when that happened. I just got a phone call. Uh, and you can imagine, you know, I'm a young man, 20-something. That's kind of a shock to hear that your father's passed away. And so because he was in New Mexico, uh, one of my bosses graciously paid for me to go and to attend the funeral. And while I was there, I was the only member of my family. You can imagine I felt very numb, uh, just very filled with grief, just kind of at a loss for words, a loss for understanding. And I remember one day, I think it was the day before the funeral, I was sitting at breakfast, and my friend Christian from school gave me a call. And my friend Christian, his father had passed away just a year prior, and so he had suffered tremendously with that similar age, similar circumstance. But he called me in my suffering, which he too had experienced, to give me the comfort that he had experienced. He said that in the time that his father died, he had received so much love and support from friends, from family, from the church, but also directly from the hand of God. Because as he lost his earthly father, he was reminded that he has a heavenly father, and a heavenly father that cannot die nor will ever leave us. And I have to say that phone call got me through having to be in New Mexico by myself to attend my father's funeral. That phone call, that comfort from God through my friend Christian is what helped me get on with my life, helped me to continue the mourning process, but in a way uh, that was not destructive, in a way uh, that brought healing. And this is what God wants to do for all of us in our suffering, through the suffering of others, bringing God's comfort to each and every one of us. And so thinking about this for us today, I think that there are a few points I would want to make. The first is that suffering comes to us in many forms. As I've said, some people suffer with diseases of the body or of the mind. Some people suffer under the burden of abuse. Some people suffer under uh, just a variety of burdens. But my brothers and sisters, God is the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. And he is the one who seeks to comfort you, not to leave you alone in that. And because he is the God of all comfort in every affliction, there is not a time in your life that you are going to experience pain where God will not be right beside you. 
And building off of this point, I think one of the ways that God is beside us in our suffering, is next to us, is through the ministry of other believers who have also suffered. And so for you who may be suffering today, if you look around you, the people in front of you, behind you, next to you, these could very well be the means of God's comfort for you. As they too have suffered, they too have been comforted by God. And I imagine that they would love to share that with you. And so if you are a person who has suffered, who has been comforted, I would implore you to extend that comfort to others. If you know someone in the church who's going through a hardship, come beside them. Share what God has done in your life. Share the comfort that you have received from the Lord. Now, I've said that God is the God of all comfort and that he comforts us in all afflictions. But you may be saying to me, Brendan, I don't know if God can handle the suffering I've gone through. You know, I've lost loved ones. I have been in the very jaws of death. I have been in the pits of hell in my life. I don't know if God can handle that. I don't know if other people can handle that. I feel alone, and I feel that in my greatest suffering, there is no hope for me. What, what can God do for me in this situation? And I hear you because that is certainly a difficult thing. I can't imagine uh, some of the things people may go through, but you know, in seeing the news and seeing the struggles of loved ones, you know, fighting off deadly diseases, fighting off uh, just a variety of things, it would seem that God is absent. It would seem that God is not able to deal with your greatest suffering. But as we see in this passage, as we see from Paul, God is able to comfort us in our greatest suffering. And so as we look at verse 8 of this passage, Paul says to the Corinthians, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Now, Paul doesn't give excessive detail of what he means here, but just place yourself into your, his shoes or imagine what could possibly bring someone so low that they would just despair of life, that they would not even think living is a possibility for them. You know, Paul is this great, I don't know, almost an ultimate kind of Christian figure, you know, he's done so many things in his life, and to imagine that he would be brought so low is incredible. And as Paul details later, he is a man who has been brought low many times, and the sufferings that he experiences throughout his life, I could imagine any one of these could have brought him to this. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 29, you see Paul speaking about the sufferings he's encountered. I have experienced far more imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, Danger from false brothers, toil, hardship, 
many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, without food, cold and exposed. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure of me from the anxiety for the churches. Any one of those things I know for myself could have brought me to that point of despair. But Paul has apparently experienced something even greater than all of these things that has brought him to such a low, low point. And I think before I I move on and, and offer some of the comfort that God would speak, I think one thing that is interesting about this passage, interesting about this point, is Paul is this ultimate Christian, but he is comfortable sharing the burdens that he has as a means to comfort others. And this kind of transparency and struggle isn't something you just find in Paul, but it's actually something you find in many great and godly people throughout history. And one of my favorites is Charles Spurgeon. Uh, If you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, he was a 19th century Baptist preacher. He looks like Pastor Jeff, but has the voice of Toby. That's a good way to imagine Charles Spurgeon. (laughs) And just like Paul, he was what you would call a super saint, ultimate Christian. He was the prince of preachers. He preached on Sunday to crowds of thousands and is one of the most prolific authors in Christian history. He's so famous that 200 years later, some weird guy is standing on the stage here at church talking about him. So you can imagine, he's a very famous man. But (laughs) in spite of all this success, in spite of all this godliness, uh, Spurgeon was a man who was also afflicted with great suffering. Early on his career, as he was preaching, and preaching, uh, crowds started to amass. And at one point, there were so many people, he had to rent out a music hall to preach to all of them. And so uh, the day came where he would preach in the Surrey Garden Music Hall. And as he was preparing, someone in the crowd yelled, Fire! Fire! The balcony's collapsing! And after that, chaos just ensued. People started panicking. Uh, trying to run through the exit, stampeding over one another. The balcony actually did collapse, likely not because of a fire, because there was no fire, but because of the panic. And Charles Spurgeon tried to calm the crowd, tried to tell them everything was all right, but the fear that had gripped the people there was so great uh, that he couldn't calm the situation. And at the end of the day, seven people lost their lives and 28 others were seriously injured. Now, Charles Spurgeon physically was fine from uh, this incident, incident, but mentally and emotionally, uh, this put a scar on his life that never left him. Uh, He would suffer with serious depression for the rest of his life. And in the days following this incident, he said, even the sight of the Bible brought me a flood of tears and utter distraction of mind. This was a trial which easily could have ended Spurgeon, easily could have ended his life, easily could have ended his ministry. And even when he went back to preach, uh, he said, God, I feared that I should never be able to meet this congregation again. He suffered so tremendously, such a great suffering. It's unthinkable that he could have gone on. And it's unthinkable of why this would have happened. Why would such a tragedy befall him? Why would Paul have to suffer shipwrecks and sickness, uh, starvation, all of these things? 
Or perhaps more poignantly for you, why do I have to experience the suffering which I encounter? Why am I so sick all the time? Why am I so anxious all the time? Why am I so depressed? Why do I feel as if I have the sentence of death over my life? And Paul gives a reason for this. And the reason why he suffered, the reason why Spurgeon suffered, and the reason why you suffer today is not because God is a sadist, it's not because he simply wants to see you miserable, but it is so that, as Paul says, it was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us, and on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Oftentimes in the world today, suffering is seen as a reason not to believe in God. It's seen as a reason to turn away from him. If I am suffering so much, why should I believe in God? Why should I seek to follow him? When in actuality, the very reason or the very thing God wants to draw out of you in your suffering is a closer relationship with him. God wants your suffering not to drive you into the pit of despair, but to drive you into his arms. Because God is the God who raises the dead. Paul felt himself under the sentence of death, and yet God delivered him. God is the one who can deliver you and will deliver you again and again and again. And the ultimate expression of this deliverance is something we as Christians have already experienced. You see, before we were in Christ, we weren't under a feeling of the sentence of death. We were actually under a real sentence of death. Because of our sin, because of the things that we have done, we justly deserved wrath. We justly deserved destruction from the wrath of God. But God did not want to leave us there. He did not want that actual sentence of death to cause us to turn from him, to cause us to remain in despair, but to cause us to seek him, to find comfort, to find deliverance, to find forgiveness. And if you have placed your faith in Christ, this is the reality that you live in every day, that Christ has delivered you as you have sought him in your suffering, and he will continue to deliver you from sin, death, and the devil And now, of course, that is the ultimate expression of this, but in our daily lives we still suffer, as has been said. But Paul promises that we will be delivered. Paul promises that we will be comforted. And if I jump back into verse 6, we see one of the means of this comfort. And that comfort is that we patiently endure the same sufferings that Christ suffered, that we suffer for Christ. And this is the kind of deliverance that doesn't really seem like deliverance. You know, patiently enduring something seems like the opposite of being delivered from something. If I'm drowning, I don't want to patiently endure drowning because sure enough, I'm going to drown. I want someone to pick me up and pull me out. But in God's great plan and God's great sovereignty, he doesn't always pull us out of the situation. But what he will do 
is make sure that we do survive that situation with our faith intact. He'll give us this comfort of endurance. He'll give us this comfort of, and deliverance of being able to long suffer. And in many situations, this is one of the greatest things that we can have. If you suffer with a chronic illness of some kind, certainly you would want to be delivered, and certainly we would pray for healing. But the work that God can do through your endurance uh, is sometimes the greatest thing that can come out of it. And this is what we saw in the life of Charles Spurgeon. Now, as I said, he was constantly dealing with depression throughout his life, but he was able to accomplish all the things that we know him for through enduring that suffering. He was never delivered absolutely from his depression. He was never delivered absolutely from the memories of that day in the music hall. But he was made into the man of God that we remember him for by patiently enduring that suffering. And that is the comfort that God offered to him. And that is the comfort that God offers to us. Again, God can deliver us out of situations, but oftentimes God seeks to give us the blessing and the virtue of patience so that we can become more like him and so that we can comfort others. And now as we come to the end of this passage, Paul has laid out a wonderful banquet of truths about God as the God of comfort, as the source of comfort, the one who comforts us in all of our afflictions uh, and in our greatest suffering. And at the end of this passage, we could easily see Paul saying, isn't this great? Let's move on to talk about other things, spiritual gifts, so forth and so on. Uh, you know, God's great. I feel comforted. Let's go home. Bada bing, bada boom. But this isn't what Paul does. In light of all the things Paul has said, Paul does not want the Corinthians simply to accept what they've heard and move on, but he calls them to a response. And that response is a response of prayer. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. You see, prayer implicitly, not fully stated here, but what Paul means to say is that prayer is another one of these means of God's comfort. God's comfort is mediated to us through people who have suffered. Uh, God's comfort comes to us in deliverance of patient endurance. But another means, and probably the central means that Paul is pointing to here, is that we are comforted, we are delivered by means of prayer. We are comforted and delivered by having that faith in God, by turning not to ourselves or despair, but turning towards the God who raises the dead so that he can deliver us and grant us that comfort. And at the very end, this prayer is not simply for uh, the sake of comfort, but Paul sees this prayer as ultimately resulting in thanksgiving for God. Paul is a man who is enraptured and in love with God and his glory. And so we find at the end, all of this comfort, all of this goodness and deliverance from God results in thanksgiving to God for what he has done. 
And as we come to the end, and we think of this for ourselves, I think what God would challenge us to do is to pray. Pray for the comfort of those we love. Pray for our own comfort. But also pray with a mind towards God. Uh, Not simply like a child asking for something. Daddy, Daddy, can I have some ice cream? Yay! And they leave. (laughs) But praying to God, asking your father for something with the intention of thanking him, with the intention of showing your affection and your love for him in thanksgiving. And this, I believe, is what Paul would have us do, is that we'd have us pray for one another, pray for one another's comfort, pray for one another's deliverance, and ultimately pray that God would be glorified. And so, I just want to leave you with a psalm about prayer, Psalm 145.18. For the Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. God will answer your prayer because God is the God of compassion. God will answer your prayer in your greatest suffering because he will comfort you there. And God will answer your prayer and give you comfort, all resulting in thanksgiving to him. Thank you.